0: Welcome back to the Better Men, Better Ball Player Podcast. I'm your host, Trey Cobb. I want to thank you for joining us, especially those who are returning to us. I'm really welcome. Glad to have you if you're joining us here for the first time uh, on our Better Men, Better Ball Player Podcast, where we look at and we talk to some of the best coaches who are not only growing the game physically, but they're also invested in growing the game by being better men, by growing the game through the lessons that the game teaches us, through the failure of it. And just like our guest today, I had the privilege of speaking to, Joel Sato from Bingham High School in South Jordan, Utah. How he goes on to talk about his advice for young coaches. You'll get to hear some of that here soon. Uh, But just how he talks about he is this person. He is that guy that leads by example. He is that man who is a teacher first of men. And winning is a byproduct of that. But uh, he's taken over this program uh, at at Bingham since 1993 after serving as an assistant for 17 years, then takes it over as a head coach. He's been a part of 14 regional titles, five state championships overall. He's been a part of 14 state championships in his time at Bingham. 2014, he was inducted into the National High School Baseball Coach Association Hall of Fame. He served as a USA Baseball Selection Task Force. He's been a clinician at the National High School Association. He serves as president of the Utah Association. He's chairman of the Rocky Mountain District. He's a liaison to the National High School Baseball Association. But Coach Sato is a first-class guy, bar none. Everybody meets him, um, and he's always learning. Yes, he's Hall of Fame, but he's still – a first row clinician guy. You see him on the front row and he discusses this in the podcast but his thing is, his challenge is know what to implement into this program and what to say we're going to hold on to this or this isn't going to work for us because he's that much of a learner and he's willing and he's humble to try new things or be open to new ideas as well as know that it's about his players and about the staff that he has around him so just incredible incredible man really privileged to be able to get to know him spend some time with him and uh, he really helped me get better today and and um, hopefully does that for you as well so without further ado I want to enjoy this conversation because I know I did. With Coach Joel Sato, Bingham High School in South Jordan, Utah.
1: Us older coaches, when we first start teaching and coaching, you know, you're not just doing one sport. You're, you know, I, when I first started teaching and coaching, I, um, I uh, was doing uh, sophomore football. And then I was doing sophomore basketball, and then I was the assistant baseball coach to the vars in the varsity, and then I coached in our summer program, and that. So I'm coaching all those things, you know, and uh, so to be able to go to a clinic or something like that, to me, I even though I was just like in the sophomore program and in those other sports, I didn't feel right like taking the weekend off, because I owe it to the kids that I'm coaching on that team if we practice and that I was present and that. So the only way that I was able to really start going to some of those clinics and stuff like that at that point was because at a, at a certain point, I, I coached football for from 78 to 93, mm. from sophomore to varsity level. And then I coached basketball from 78 to 2000 and then took a year or two off when our coach left and then I got brought back by the new guy that came in So I coached until 2006 and then then I like, okay, I went to our state association stuff all the time, but to go to some of the things out of state, I didn't feel right leaving my job as an assistant coach. Mm -hmm. So only when I finally gave up basketball for good, could I go to the BCA or go to the ABCA and that, and man, that opened up a whole new world. I was the head coach here at 2003. So, after that two thousand and six, holy cow, our the way we did things changed because, as you know, you you think you know a little bit when you get to be a head coach. You really don't know not anything, right? <laughs> yeah, and uh, you you kind of coach it the way you've been coached or as an assistant, and you saw maybe you had some ideas about what you wanted to do if you ever became a head coach, but then going to hear these other guys from all over the country and where their programs are, we changed the way we start doing things drastically and uh, to the benefit of, the, of our program and the success in our program. And now the challenge is, is you got all this information and even more now because of the Zoom and the virtual clinics and things like that, you have all this information that you can get. And now you got to try to sort out what can we use? What looks good? What can't we use? You know, and you really don't want to, you know, hey, I think I want to try this and experiment when you're getting right into your season and stuff like that. So you have to kind of figure out the challenge now is what is worthwhile, what can you use, how can you adapt what maybe you've seen to put in your program and that. So, but it's, it's awesome to hear all these people, what they do, how they do it. And it continues to make you as a person. It's made me think can we do these things better and if we can how do we do it better can we use one of these what one of these guys are doing you know so that's kind of what the challenge is today and, and i I've, I've always wanted to learn i've never thought i've known much about what's going on i i i look at all these other people and and see what they're doing and, and are, are just marvel at how successful they are and how how innovative they still are even though they're programs are still successful. Mm -hmm.
0: So how have you been able to like, I'm, I'm I'm just, I'm just curious of how have you been able to say, Nope, I think what we're doing is good or like, yes, like we need to do this.
1: Um, I look and see how it fits into what we're about. Oh, so let's say good example is the, the West coast offense kind of Mm -hmm. concept, right? You know, that kind of idea We play in a major league size park. Our foul lines are 340, 335 or 400 to center, 370 and 380 to the alleys. The wind always blows in from left field and that. So for us to be a power team, that's beating your head against the wall. So when I hear guys talking about launch angle and they're talking about, you know, this and that, as far as hitting is concerned, you know, that's not for us making Mm -hmm. hard contact. Yes. How to make hard contact? Yes. Keeping the ball, getting the ball in the air, like the major league guys tell you, do hey, let's get the ball in the air. No, and then I don't have I don't have guys that are strong enough. My guys are regular guys. I love them to death, but 5'8 and 160, okay? They're not hitting the ball 380 against the wind, okay? So when I hear Coach Webb and some of those guys talk about the West Coast offense and how they use sacrifice bunt and how they put pressure on the defense, you know, that's our style. Mm-hmm. Uh, we became really successful when we started to sacrifice about more. But then you think the team start knowing that's what you're going to do. They play you for it. And so my thinking is, okay, they're going to play. How do we, how do we beat that? How do we adjust that? How do we do something different to beat? Because they all know that we get our lead off guy out. Here comes a sacrifice bunt. And so they're putting on a defense to try to get the lead run around, stuff like that. So, for a little bit there, you think, do we need to change? And then you just go back to say, no. You know what? Our offense. Every time we get a sacrifice button down in the game, we end up scoring runs, whether they know it or not. And so it's there's some things you stick with like that when you see the success that it has carried over the years, even though the other teams all know this is what they're going to do, mm-hmm. you still do it, and you count on, you know, them to, you count on them to make the mistake, so to speak. You know you're going to be able to get the butt down are they still going to be able to field it and throw you out, you know, get, get one out. If they don't, now we got two guys on and we're going to bun again. (laughs) Okay. So uh, I think you measure it by what is you take a look at how you've been successful. And even though other people know what you're going to do, you still do it and you still gain that success. So that's kind of how we do it. If, if um, I don't know that we've changed, we've changed some things, mostly, you know, things we use to change are in the preparation or in the practice phase you know, the more competitive drills in the olden days, you threw through that feel good BP. Yeah. Now, hell does anybody throw feel good BP except on game day? I'm, I'm not sure. And that I like that part because I think our guys got too comfortable when they're challenged. Then you really got to go to work on the six inches between their ears. but now mm-hmm. they're getting challenged like that in practice all the time. So they handle it better in the game.
0: Well, I like that. So now you're talking challenge BP instead of feel good BP. Right? Yeah. Most of the time. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Coach Sherman, the jungle in the zoo.
0: That's right. Challenge BP instead of feel good BP. So when, uh, um, so making that change there. So you said, so basically you'll still like the feel good, get your 10 swings kind of like during pregame, but like all your time leading up to that practice wise, you're challenging
1: them at every BP session we're going to try to, or at least you're going to have one or two rounds of what they get is going to be something where they're going to be challenged. It's going to, and we're going to amp that up a little bit more, you know, like right now we've got winter workout going on with our guys that are returning guys and uh, incoming people that are trying out stuff like that. So a lot of the things we're doing right now are feel good, trying to get some rhythm going, but there's still one day out of the week when we challenge them, you know, we, turn up the hack attack and it's, it's above 90 VLO and we get in and throw a little bit and it's not knowing what's coming. You know, you're just going to, you need to try to make hard contact and you know, we're not going to, we're going to, you know, put that out there to you so that you, you know, can make those adjustments and start making them now. Let's not wait till, you know, March 20th when we start playing and have to do it in the first ball game. Yeah. So the idea behind challenging people like that a little bit more, I, I always hear guys talk about you know, we want them to fail. I'm not, I don't know that we want to go that far, but we know if we challenge them, then they know they have to make adjustments. And I think that's going to help them get better.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I, I also like what you said about challenging the six inches between their ears too, you know, and so how, especially high school kids, you know, like in high, at the high school level, we're always trying to, you know, still the maturity, you know, and kind of growing people up to deal with that adversity. How has the challenge BP and what kind of things do you start teaching to help them get better mentally?
1: Okay. We um, we talk about routines. Mm. You know, we just like Brian Kane, we talk about, um, start out saying, okay, hey, you need to be mentally tough. But what is mentally tough? When you're challenged, you need to be mentally tougher. Everybody says that. Well, what is that? You know? So we kind of start out by giving them the big picture. Hey, being mentally tough is being at your best when your best is needed no matter what the circumstances are, whether you feel good or not. Okay. So how do you do that? Well, you've got to slow everything down. You've got to be able to, you know, get a routine in where you can take a deep breath, slow your heart rate down. Okay. Slow your breathing down, be able to calm everything down, try to get it so that you are in a, a place where you can perform right here, this moment. Don't worry about what happened beforehand. Don't worry about what's going to take place in the future. And then as you do that, you also have to be process oriented. You have to worry about if I get up there and say, I got to get it, I got to get it. It ain't happening. I got to throw a strike. I got to throw a strike on this pitch. Probably not going to happen, but you can work on the process. I need to, as a hitter, I need to see the ball clearly. Okay. I need to be on time as a pitcher. I need to, you know, execute this pitch, you know, that kind of stuff. So we try to get them to slow the game down by getting some type of routine, or they take a deep breath. They try to clear their mind of everything. They focus on a focal point. They have one positive process oriented thought that's gonna lead them to some success before they either step in the box or told the rubber to make, to make a pitch. And then if it doesn't work out on that pitch, then we've got to figure out or they, they get a bad call or they miss the pitch that they thought they should have hit. Then they've got to figure out how to release the bad things that are going on negative stuff that goes on and then get back into the present moment where you can be positive. You can focus on what's coming ahead and hopefully be able to perform at their best at that point. Mm -hmm. So You also kind of take that into some stuff where, you know, Hey, life's not going to be fair all the time. You're not going to get everything the way you want it all the time too. Right. So you, you learn to deal with that. You learn to step, take a step back see what's going on, get a better perspective about what's happening, and then move on. Because as a male, you're gonna be married one day, you're gonna have a family, if something goes bad, you can't fall apart, you got people dependent upon you. So figure out how to handle things in the moment, to turn so that as you move forward, things will turn out better instead of going the other way where you let it spiral into more disaster coming mm-hmm. on, so to speak, right?
0: Absolutely. Have you seen that, um, you know, in all your success that you've had at Bingham, like has it been that your players have been able to handle the failure?
1: Yeah. Cause we talk about that. We, we talk about, it has been a tough game, you know, that, uh, that lost to a rival or something like that. Again, we try to put it in perspective. Um, I can remember when uh, back in one of the years we're playing for the, like the league title. And we're playing against uh, one of our rivals. And they've got a guy that runs it up there. He ended up playing at Utah and was drafted and playing pro ball and stuff. And we, we battled him. He shoved it up our butt early. And then we, they put in a relief pitcher because they were ahead. We continue to battle back and that, and then they actually had to bring him back in to close the game out. We have the tying and winning runs on base with one out and our guy hits a line drive and our guys run the wrong way. And they hit into a double play. And we lose that game, which means we're not gonna win their league. And after the game, our guys are like devastated, so to speak, and I go, hey, listen, did you battle, did you compete? And did you give it your best effort all the way through that game? And our kids are, they're, yeah, I think we you know, we did. I said, I really think you did. We ha- we gave ourselves a chance at the end to, to be successful in that game. But I'm telling you what, because we lost, the way we came back, the way we handled ourselves, the way we competed, we're going to win. We're not going to win the league, but down the road, we're going to win. And that other trophy that's sitting out there, we've got a chance to bring that back. We just have to do it one inning, you know, one pitch, one inning, one game at a time. And then we'll be able to, you know, see that success and that. And uh, they kind of took that and things worked out well. Or there's other times where we've had, I had I'll just tell you, I had experience with that. Uh, one of my good friends that I played with uh, had ALS mm. and uh, you know, he battled it for eight or nine years, it seemed like, and um, we're down playing in the national classic down in California, playing a really good team, one, two, getting to the semifinals. And we lose three to two. And our guys are like, you know, they're ticked because they you know, had hey, the first time we'd have had a chance to in the finals in that tournament. But normally, we're on four and that this team was a good ball club. And I says, this isn't so bad guys. You know, this, we did lose the game. We played well. We're going to play one more here before we head throw. home. You know, this is, this is not that bad because I got a friend who's battling ALS back home and he's in a bad place right now. I, you know, I, I, I called him on the phone and we talked. I says, put this loss in perspective of a guy with ALS. This is nothing compared to that. And they they get it because we've talked about that and we talked about perspective and that. And so they get that kind of stuff. And so it does help when we do talk about things in life experiences like that, that they handle the failures that they have lots better than if it's just about the game only, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah. So you, you talked a lot about like
0: things you've talked into the players and you've gone over these things. Like, do you have a classroom session or like, do you do you have these things? Like, uh, I guess I says like almost intentional about like having these conversations or just something you just kind of have spur of the moment in the, on the
1: field. Uh, both, both Trey, we, we, uh, we do have classroom. We, we, we don't meet every day because of the way our practice schedules kind of line up. And, uh, we, we have, we, we have three levels of teams. We play, we have a sophomore freshman group. We have a JV group we have a varsity group, but we all practice together. And that, and our ninth grade group, our freshman group, isn't in our school, they're at a middle school. So we have an athletic period. So in that athletic period on one uh, we, our sophomore students, seniors, we will start practice at one o'clock and we'll go out and get started. And then when the middle school gets out at 2.15, those kids will come rolling into practice and just move on and that. But on the next day, we have everybody there because we don't start practice till after school. And all the ninth graders will be there. Um, so we start at two 30, we'll have a classroom session at two 30 and that, and right now during our athletic period, before we have our season started, we don't have any ninth graders involved in our program and we got other guys playing basketball and stuff like that. So our full team is not really together, but we'll still meet in the classroom at least once a week because we can't get into the weight room because other groups are using that for the first half hour of that athletic period. So we'll have a classroom session and we'll talk about those kind of things as well as, as others. So some of it is intentional that way. And we we know we have things we need to talk about in that fashion. We will utilize that. And then others are, others are after games or, um, you know, a spur of the moment when we can see that there's, Hey, here's where we get a chance to teach this lesson. And I don't know who, who told us this, or we might've heard it at the, and then Birmingham, I don't know, but I don't, you tell stories, you mm-hmm. know, the more stories you tell of, about the people that have gone in your program before and seen the examples that they've left behind, you know, you tell those stories and it becomes a little bit more real for them because they know the players know some of those guys and you talk about them and that. So um, it is both. It's sometimes it's intentional. Sometimes it happens after a game whether you win or lose and you see there's a lesson you can use and teach with a story like that.
0: Mm -hmm. The
1: teachable moment as well. Right. Right.
0: Mm -hmm. So will you kind of take these classroom sessions just during like the spring, just during your season or is this something you do through the fall and through your workouts?
1: Yeah, we do. We start when we come back to school. We're fortunate enough that we get all our baseball guys in an athletic period. We're on a A, B schedule, a block schedule. So we get them every other day this year's unusual. We get them two times a week because Friday's here. Uh, we have uh, remedial day and stuff like that. Uh, kids aren't in school because of the COVID situation and, and that, and gives janitors a time to kind of sanitize the building and stuff. So we'll get our guys on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And uh, like I said, uh, when we can get in the weight room immediately, we'll just go in there and get our workout in so that we don't spend the time after school that it and it's actually during certain periods of the year it's illegal for us to stay after school to do any baseball stuff mm-hmm. even lifting and stuff like that even lifting uh, yeah yep right now uh so that was like one of our dead periods is like from november 23rd till january 1st so during that period of time we couldn't stay after school we can't have any chalk talk meetings we can meet as a classroom and go over some of the um, life lesson kind of things or go over um, some teaching items in that way. can't do any baseball chalk talk stuff during that time. After January 1st, now we could, we could put in, we could do some, some, you know, put in some defenses, we, but we, we, we don't do that till we have everybody in, there's no sense teaching it twice. So we just do it the one time or So, yeah. Yeah, it's really cool. I mean,
0: everybody had, I think high school wise, it's always, it's a challenge, you know, trying to find, you know, when you can work with your guys and everybody has different, different <laughs> yeah. challenges to meet there, you know, in Maryland, you know, it's a lot different than what it is in Utah as well. So yep. it's always funny how the guys, certain guys, you just find
1: ways to help your guys. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. For yeah. sure. We, that's, that goes probably you guys are probably, I don't know, probably not as much as here, but Right now, we are we have to figure out how to deal and get all work done because inside because there's no outside going on. You know, we have had a couple of days here where the weather's been nice, but the, we can't get on our field yet. No. So we have to, it, then when the season starts March 1st, hell, it snowed here as late as April 15th. hmm So you have to figure out, okay, we're going to have to be inside. What can we do inside? So actually, when you plan out, preseason practices when you're outside you like you do all your you know your field stuff defensively and that right uh cutoffs and relays and those kinds of things because you know you're going to get a snow day Mm -hmm. or something so you're going to practice inside so when you practice inside you can do you work on pickoffs so you can do like butt, you know things you can just do because our gym's big enough we can almost do a full infield and that in there so we work we can work on those kind of things on the when we have a snow day after our teams picked and that so you do have to adjust and try to do some really different things
0: oh for sure no and i, and I, I honestly i like to get into that too cuz I, I think that you know there's a lot i mean i'm a maryland guy i'm really a northeast guy so i think there's a lot of people um that, that are still might be looking for that year you know, right now, a lot of guys in our area and our surrounding are, are in a indoor facility. You see a lot of PBR stuff right now. They're in an indoor facility. Oh,
1: okay. um,
0: you know, I mean, so for the most part, you know, that that's happening. So I just had Tim held on as well. I think, oh, yeah. you know, coach held. Yeah. Uh, so Tim. And so we just got into like, same thing with, in Ohio, like they're, they're in inside a good bit. So, um, and I thought that was a great conversation. It's real. Um, And I don't know if many people talk about that, but like, what like so what kind of like cuz he gave me like kind of his bread and butter right and what they do and kind of how he's kind of figured out you know his kind of bread and butter you right. know and you with all your experience what have you found and i love how you already said i know what i'm going to prioritize when i actually get to go outside and then right. uh, what i can do but like what's kind of your bread and butter maybe practice plan uh interesting ways creative ways that you've done things in
1: the gym to get your guys ready oh man uh you, you it keeps suggesting I'm glad some like said some of the clinics have actually had guys in the northern areas like right. you, like to come in and try to talk about that kind of stuff. But so um, one way is like we have a we have one hitting tunnel that we can put up inside and then we can put up some sock nets and some other nets do some front toss or T or you know, things like that. So we'll take part of our gym and make it into a hitting area. And we'll take the other part of our gym and make it into a defensive area. And then what we'll do is we'll split our group in one, one time we might split it into infielders and outfielders. And so infielders will hit and outfielders will have all this whole bigger area to do all kinds of, they'll get their throwing in, they throwing programs in. We can't do long toss, but we have these nets that hang down. So they'll throw at 90 feet into the, you know, 20 feet up the net, you know, to try to get their long toss kind of stuff in. And so they'll get their throwing program in and then they'll have all the area to do some defensive drills. And our, our outfield coach, coach summer is phenomenal. He'll, you know, they, and he, he understands he goes like, Hey, we, we can get a lot done because how many fly balls as compared to how many ground balls go into the outfield? Mm-hmm. I mean, how many times do they actually, so he's got all these drills for uh, his outfielders to get, they, they work on their, their jumps, they work on their reads, they work on fielding ground balls. They work on cutting them off. They work on a lot of footwork. So fundamental things defensively that way after they do their throwing program while the infielders are hitting. And then we We have like 45 minutes to an hour or something like that. And then we'll flip-flop the group. And then the outfielders go hit and the infielders will come over. Same thing, throwing program. And they've got their individual uh, glove drills, short hop drills. That they can get fungos. They can work in combinations where they've got Middle infielders working on double plays and you know things like that. Um, then we usually finish with uh, some type of a team thing where we have a little bit of competition. We can do like a almost we can do like a bunt scrimmage inside. Um, you know we can do a first and third situation inside, and that where we can that ends up working into rundowns and stuff like that. So that's one way. Another time we can work on say okay today is the day when our pitchers really needed to get their bullpens in. So everybody that's a pitcher or catcher, you're in one group, you guys go get your stuff going, your defense, get your bullpens in. Catchers, you know, you'll catch the bullpens, you get some individual work while the pitchers are getting their warm-up in before they start throwing and this and that. Other guys, other position guys, they're hitting. And then we'll flip-flop because you got the two-way guys that are pitchers that, you know, that need to get their swings in too. So then we flip-flop. So... Well, we can get some. Uh, we can get some infield and outfield work done. We can work on maybe some relay kind of stuff like that. Just in the idea about where to be and kind of shorten it up a little bit and and that. So you've come up with these ways to divide your group up so they can get everything that you need to do outside done inside. Uh, but you only can do the drills that you can do within the infield. Sometimes when, instead of doing their bullpens, we'll get infielders and pitchers is the one. And we'll work on pickoffs or how to hold runners on and that while the catchers and the outfielders go hit and stuff. So we have those ways of dividing those kind of things up. And, um, and like I said, we always try to finish with some kind of a competitive thing where we have two teams against each other or even just uh, got a drill called uh, fire drill from a Oklahoma coach back in the day where it's a, a multi-purpose thing with pitchers and infielders. And we'll see how many times we can get through that without making any errors and stuff. So you know, those are the kind of things that we do. That's awesome.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think people realize, you know, when you're dealing with the limitations, you know, like I said another challenge challenges, I think another thing a great coach is to be is to be creative and um there is definitely some, yeah, it's it's never the same. It's not ideal, but you know, you gotta make the best out of it and but some really cool things you can get out of it like you said the the teaching the, like you mentioned about the, your outfield coach and about the, the strict fundamentals and I think uh that's when you when we play the game in, in the northeast a little different like it's not the, it's it not that it's robotic but like right. you do get very uh you know the just the stri- strict fundamentals through it throughout of it because you because when you're inside you're just that's there's the little things you can really handle.
1: Yep. That's correct. Yeah. Nothing wrong with that either. Nothing wrong with those fundamentals, teaching those basics. And you can get, get to the bigger things later on.
0: Mm-hmm. And even like, and it's like speaking of coach Webb, that's what he's all about too. You know, there's, there's fundamentals, those fundamentals. <laughs> you know,
1: he was, he was, he was great to listen to. He's, he's no wonder he's, he's on top of the list right there as one of the good coaches. Man. Yeah. He's incredible. Incredible.
0: Oh man, coach. This is great. Um, So i honestly like just going through so you get outside so like you know and i know you're a teacher you're a planner um you know do you kind of shell out the week for your for your practice plans do you kind of go uh daily as needed Uh, a little bit of both do you have like a practice index of things that you do like how do you kind of take us through like your practice planning kind of
1: routine okay it's you you mentioned a little bit it's it Well, i Early in the year, right now, we're I when we start, we take a long time for our tryouts. Probably more than anybody else. We we take four or five days. I think everybody else in the state, they kind of know who they're going to have. They get trouts in in a day and a half, and then they're ready to go. We could actually, if we we start March first this year, and it's legal to play a game on March eighth, one week after you starting date. Our game, our first game is not till March like nineteenth or eighteenth. I wait as long as humanly possible to try to schedule that first game because I really don't want to go into a game very, you know, unprepared. And I don't want to have those new kids into the program going into the game and trying to learn everything on the fly, you know, like that. So, yes, we will intentionally early in the season like that before we play any games, have it written out Here's what we're going to do. Now, the players don't know all that, but we do as a staff. Sure. We're going to do these, we're going to cover this kind of deep team defense, you know, these kind of individual things that we're just going to work our way into um, so that we have the basic stuff down before we get to that first ball game. Uh, I don't know. We don't need five bunt coverages for the first game. We need to field one and get a guy out at first base, you know, uh, first and third situation we need We need to be able to throw the ball through to second base, or we need to be able to make sure we hold the runner at third, you know, type of deal. We need to know where to throw the ball and cut off and relay. So we're going to put in the very basic kinds of things offensively too. We're going to work on sacrifice bunt. We're going to work on a little bit of hit and run. We're going to work on, you know, how to run the bases properly, you know, uh, leads, you know, basic fundamental things offensively that we're going to need to do. Um, as we get into the preseason and games we'll always review the basic things hopefully something once a week type of thing in other words we're going to go over our basic bunt defense at least once a week On that at some point we're going to try to make sure we go over you know pickoffs and holding runners on in either uh an individual situation or a you know a combination group situation and that Um, Then as we get into games, if we see something that we're not doing very well, instead of going with the game plan, we'll adjust and say, yeah, we need to go back and redo this. We're not handling that very well. We don't understand. We didn't explain it very well the first time. Something like that. we'll, we'll We'll do that. We'll take advantage. And then we'll also implement some things that we couldn't do in the first 10 days of practice. We're we'll gonna, but we'll start adding those things in. So, um, you know, the first and third situation offensively, you know, we'll we will will not put it in early, but pretty soon after the first game, we're gonna put in the lefty pitcher, lefty first baseman kind of thing, and you know, we're gonna leave the runner off third and get the guy picked at first and score the runner, a third kind of deal, right? So, um, it early in the year planned out here's what we need to cover before we get to this point, this first game as the game start, then it's a little bit more adjustable to what we're doing. Well, we don't need to practice as much. We need to practice what we're not doing well, implement a couple of new things here and there.
0: Mm-hmm. So you said that you, and then speaking of practice, so then you've got all your fresh, you've got all three of your teams take together. Does right. that still happen during the season as your games gets, get rolling?
1: It does. We don't. Uh, so when we do have athletic period, we can, we can get, uh, about an hour, hour and 15 minutes of practice time in before JV game, sophomore games, they have to leave to go, or they're held on our field. Yeah. So we'll still get some game time in and, uh, Holy cow. We, we got schooled a little bit this fall and this summer. I had a coach Savage team from Reno come out and, uh, they show up at the ballpark and honest to heavens, they, as soon as they got their shoes on, there was not one minute wasted between the time they got their shoes on and ran out and did their dynamic uh, warm up till the time they took pregame and that I watched that thing go off like clockwork. They came to our field. We played them in a three game series and twice. Then they came and played some other teams at our field in a little tournament deal. And I was like, okay, we're wasting some time before the game. We're gonna we're gonna be able to practice. We take all our guys to the varsity game, too, sophomore freshmen sophomores, except for they all dress. So we're gonna utilize that time a little bit more to do some drill work and and things like that during uh BP before we leave. We have to get we have to take buses at a certain time. So we're gonna get to the opponent's field like way early before the game. So we're gonna use that time in order to you know, break down some things with our younger guys, do more teaching and stuff like that. So, um, but it was, it was the learning experience then. And we took some notes and we're we've kind of organized ourselves and hopefully we're going to utilize that time a little bit better. So yeah, our teaching is going to go with all those kids as much as we can, even when we start into games. So you said, and you said all,
0: all your, your whole program goes through at every game, right? Right. Every varsity game.
1: Yep. We do.
0: So everybody travels with it. So like you got 50 kids coming
1: on a bus. Uh, 30, between 38 and 42.
0: 38 and 42 kids in the whole program. Yep. Okay. And then so they're all coming. Mm. And that's, so have you tried, have you tried where some, you know, staying back and doing the practice thing, or is that something you just always done? They've always just came.
1: No, they've. we've always brought them. It's a, it's our classroom time too. I mean, they can learn what's going on. They can they get the feel of the intensity of the varsity game, the speed of the game. So their internal clock kind of, and they understand that part. Uh, I was able to, I've been here long enough where when we first started coaching here, we didn't have ninth graders in high school athletics, sophomores and up. Then when the ninth graders became eligible to play, we saw when we incorporated them into the practice, we did it right off the bat we brought them right in. A ninth grader now, always the talented sophomore could come and start varsity just like in any other place. But now we had these ninth graders that weren't the most talented kids. They could get into a varsity game a lot earlier. They also, some of them had some skills that we could use uh, defensively, maybe a pitcher to eat up an inning or two. Anyway, they were able to learn the game to know the speed of it, to know the intensity of it. And their opportunity to play at the varsity level was sped up because they got that experience of being at the varsity game. And then, I mean, I'm always making a point that, and not all our coaches do. We have a couple of them that do it, but I'm walking. I I will hang out with the the sophomores, freshman area of our bench or have them, okay, you guys are sitting right here by me today so that I can look over and I can go, what pitch is this guy going to throw right here, right now to our guy, you know, or if you're running at first base right now, what should you be thinking of? Or did you see what just happened out on the field? What would you have done if that ball was, you know, so there's, we try to, that, that's their classroom. That's their, that's their learning time. Where that so that they're not surprised when they finally get the chance to to move up the levels and get in, in, in the games and stuff like that. So I think it's been a, I think there's more positives on doing that than negatives. We also have charts that they're responsible for, uh, so that that also helps them keep them involved in the game. They understand the value of a uh, guy keeping the pitching chart, the value of throwing the first pitch strike, the value of winning the one, one count. Mm. Okay. They understand the value of a uh, pitch count being kept low so they could extend the, stay in the game in extended period rather than, you know, that kind of thing. Or again, you ask them, okay, what's your pitch right now? You got the guy two, two, you see what the seniors like, if you're out there throwing, what are you going to throw? You know, so you, you try to get them to, to teach the game that way a little bit. So the only negative part that's really bad practice time, it's a little bit longer to try to get everybody through practice and you can't do some of the, I see some of the team things we've learned at, clinics where you got base runners going and things like that, uh, to try to teach the game that way. We can't do that as often as other teams do when they only practice their 18 varsity guys, as opposed to our 38 whole program kind mm-hmm. of deal. So, but we've come up with some, you know, okay. Have you ever if you had two cages at home plate to hit at the same time with two BP guys out there? Yeah, that's what we do to cut time down. No B having yeah, instead of having just one cage at home plate and have to circle all 38 through we have two cages at home plate that we hit from and two guys throwing on the on the field at the mm-hmm. same time. So mm-hmm. come up with ways to do that too.
0: Oh yeah yeah that's great so yeah because I'm just I'm just curious like' I'm, I guess I'm just wondering about like you guys play three like as three or four times a week
1: uh our schedule this year is sophomore level games doubleheader header Mondays and then they and then Tuesday is a varsity game only Wednesday is a varsity game only we play in three game sets too we play the same team three times in a row uh so Wednesday varsity Thursday is a sophomore JV double header so sauce play our JV's play first and sauce play after Friday is varsity only and then Saturday is a JV double header
0: okay so, because I'm just thinking of like like the sophomore guy who's a sophomore on the soft team is what you're saying, okay. right? Right. All right. And so if he plays on Tuesdays, what you said, right? No, no um, so that's a varsity game. That's a varsity game. Sophomore on Monday. Monday. No so Monday. Monday. So he would play Monday. And then, so he would then go to all those other games the rest of the week. Right. Right. And then right. I guess he plays Saturday. Plays Thursday. Plays Thursday. And then mm-hmm. he just goes to the rest of the week. Now right. let's say, let's say I'm a pitcher. Right. You know, when does that guy get his work in to get ready for his start the next day, you know, okay. or the next time.
1: So sophomore pitcher, uh starter on Monday. Yeah. So he'll uh, Monday get his game. Tuesday comes to the varsity game sometime during BP uh, or even in during a pregame time period, he might get, his band work in, he'll get it. Maybe we have to, we have him throw. He'll get his throwing program in Uh Wednesday. Um, he's probably gonna, he probably won't do much, anything on the mound again, just get his throwing program in and get his band work in mm-hmm. Thursday. He's there's a game going on. He'll probably either before the game starts or maybe during the JV game or something like that. He'll get his mound work in a bullpen. Okay short work, maybe just it's short work. It's 45 foot flat ground work. He might get that in Friday. He'll come out, he will throw, uh, get his long toss in Saturday. He'll get his mound work in. He'll get his 25, 30 pitches from the bump during the JV game to get ready for his start on Monday. So okay. our pitching guys have got all that stuff lined out. That's that day by day they're given. Here's what you need to do today. Right, you know. And then after they get in the routine, there they're able to kind of do it on their own.
0: So, as a staff, so like all your staff is be able, are they're able to be there and like right. they're, they're be they're able to be there early because like what you're saying, like pr- this all happens during pregame, you know, like sometimes like so the majority of like I guess your stuff when you get well I could say during the season, right? All your teaching is a lot of
1: times happening at pregame, right? Pregame or those short practices before the JV sophomore games on Monday, Thursdays. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Months. During your
0: athletic period, like your yeah. hour, hour, and a half. And then on,
1: or on Saturdays too. We'll, if our, our JV games stuff, I at 11. So we'll have those guys come at nine and we'll get a little bit of work in before again, review something real quick. We should, we should know, we don't have to do, you know, we don't have to do half hour of reps. We should only be able to have to do 10 or 15 minutes of reps if we need to on a, on a defensive drill or, or something like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, because I, I just think like high school is such a unique animal, you know, yeah. because you go from playing your summer ball and you go from playing different things, you know, but like when you put in the schedule, you know, and then trying to run a certain program, how you do things and just the the schedule of things, it's just, it's just so unique, you know, and you think right. of just like that, like, and then as a program, we believe everybody should be there. We believe you're just going to come to the game and you're going to learn the game. Right. Um, you know, so we have these pre-game routines and right. um, I'm sure it also like I'm even thinking of like you got to have some pretty like flexible staff members, especially because I mean, I'm not sure how, how early your games start. You know, but in Maryland, we're starting at 445. Nobody's got lights.
1: Yeah. You know I mean, right. so it,
0: it takes a very unique schedule you, right. or you got to have a teacher and not every, you know, not everybody's a, a teacher. Right. Um. So like how, you know, how flexible is your staff? You know, or is it, or is it something you just kind of teach during the preseason and say, Hey, here's, what's going to happen. Come game
1: pregame. Right. Right. Uh, our, our staff, we've, we well, I'm lucky. We got some great, we got, I've got one, two, three, I've got three other former head coaches on my staff. Wow. I have, uh, one, two, three ex players that are on our staff that know how we do things and they've been through it. Right. Yeah. And that, and so, um, uh, one, two, three, three of them are teachers mm. and that, so they're at our school here. So they, so there's four of us here at our school. So our we're all able to get out at the same time. The other couple of guys have to sacrifice their conference period at the end of the day, sometimes to be able to come out to practice. And that, but they do. I have uh, one coach that's just retired from teaching a couple of years ago. So he's freed up. So he's, he's there all the time. Um, our, one of our pitching coaches, uh, his passion is baseball. So, and he's a, he's a human resource, kind of the plant manager where he works at. So he makes his own hours come springtime. So he never misses a practice, never misses a minute of any of the games or anything like that. Um, one of the other coaches actually teaches at another high school. He's one of the other head coaches. He was the head coach at that school. Great man, great coach, Coach Harrington. But he will. It's all. A, it's a ten-minute drive across the valley. So he's got it arranged at his school that when he gets out, he gets here. He gets here a little bit later. But but we cover for him, and when he gets here, he's just awesome mm-hmm. and then, I, then the other one's one of my ex-players again is he's a manager of his business too so now and he's only been on staff for like three years now but he manages his schedule and during baseball season to show up all the time so mm-hmm. um typically then if if it's a varsity game we can those guys can do a lot of teaching our games start at 330 and we don't have lights either so if it's a home game we'll uh We'll get early BP, kind of like the pro guys, early BP guys that like P- POs and and uh JV sophomore guys. And so they'll get uh round to BP in first 35 to 40 minutes on that. But then we bring varsity guys out for BP. While varsity guys are taking BP, we got fungos going on in the infield. We've got fly balls being hit to the outfielders. So our infield and outfield coaches are working with technique our pitching coaches got our younger guys like said doing their throwing programs and uh, if they need bullpen work they're getting bullpen work in and then like you said now as soon as BP's over it's probably going to be about 2 40 240, to 45 and then all of the our city guys will get in their throwing programs and um all the defensive work should be done and uh some of the younger pitchers, though, if they still need to do some bullpen work or stuff like that. They'll do it now from two forty-five till game time three thirty, and that. So we take the infield outfield stuff starts at three for us at home team visitors at three ten, and then into the varsity game. So all that time period from one o'clock on, you've got we've got a couple hours there where we, you know, we're going to do a lot of teaching and they'll get their reps in uh, defensively, hitting bullpens, et cetera.
0: Mm. Yeah. You got a walled machine there, coach.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Brian tried to, like I said, now we learned from coach Savage from Reno. Oh my gosh. We're waste. There's some time we've been wasting out here. We need to do a better job.
0: <laughs> I forget where I, I, uh, somebody else had mentioned to me about coach Savage and I've had a pleasure of meeting him, but I, someone else had been, told me the same thing. Just uh, extremely impressed detail oriented and just how they went about their business.
1: Uh, I heard I another- him and coach Roof are good buddies maybe that's exactly
0: who it was yeah maybe yep. that's exactly who it was yeah oh yeah okay Wow. so yeah i it was just it, it's it's you know even f- to think that your game started at three thirty, you know and, and god you've got oh, a great staff you know being able to yeah. do that it's just yeah that's really fortunate and i guarantee that's why you're able to do the things you do and and because even for me i'm thinking wow you know like it, kids aren't really having the practice time they're just kind of they're learning but they're doing so much pregame stuff and all your staff's there they're doing it they're getting just as good at work though um what you're saying so it's really cool like I said high school man it's such a unique setting it's such a unique it's the the different challenges and the way you have to um just manage all those little intricacies of the schedule and uh what works for your
1: program it's pretty cool yep it's and it's it the, the, if you could just coach and do that kind of stuff'd it be really nice but then they throw on top of you all the paperwork Yeah, <laughs> as, a, as a head coach oh my gosh but I, I shouldn't complain i like i said our guys on staff they've been so loyal they've been so great they've they 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 are such good men too mm. and they treat our players with you know so well and they they our kids learn such great lessons from them I, you know i'm the luckiest guy in the world i i wouldn't trade those guys for anybody
0: yeah. I mean, you got such a big, a big staff, you know, like is that something that's just kind of grown over time? Like grown as you've kind of grown the program and the success you've had over time. And then how have you been able to manage that? How have you kind of, you know, I mean, really I'm sure you're kind of coaching the coaches now as big as it is, or no one kind of like, Hey, here's our way, but you know, managing, managing that.
1: Yeah. Uh, so when I first started coaching as, as the assistant, we only had, like said, 10th through 12th grade. We just basically played JVs and varsities uh, Two of us, you know, Coach Bevan and I, that was my mentor uh, baseball-wise and that. And that happened all, we did that for 78 till 80, I think it was for 10 years, just the two of us, basically. And then uh, we added one, one gentleman, uh, Coach Rasmussen, uh, who, who taught here. Uh, for 30 years and coached here for 30 years. There's our girls basketball coach and also a baseball coach with us. And uh, so there was three of us for a little while. And then when we added the sophomore level as games also, you know, we were able to add a couple more coaches for the longest time. We probably had a staff of about four or five and that, and we were able to divide up all the, the jobs and we did a lot more. Um, the guys that we have on staff right now, uh, like I said, Coach Summer, uh, who played for us and now is on staff. Coach Butterbaugh uh, who came from Iowa. Okay. So coach Butterbaugh now coaches our JVs and does our infielders. And he coaches first base during the varsity game. Coach Summers, our outfield coach. He did coach our JVs for over 12, 13 years. And I've just relieved him of those duties. His family's getting a little bit older. And so he needs to spend some more time with some part with his family and that too, with some things going on. So we, I released him from coaching JV, but he coaches third base now and, uh, and that, and uh, does our outfielders and, and hitters. Uh, we have two guys that handle our pitchers, coach McDonald, whose boy played for us. And so he's familiar. He's one of the ex head coaches um, and coach Devereaux who I coached against actually. Mm-hmm. And that, but uh, coach McDonald is familiar with our program. Like you said, cause his boy played coach Devereaux is known about our program. We played against him. Uh, those two guys handle our pitchers at all levels and that. And uh, so like Coach Deverell will call pitches during the varsity and JV games. Coach McDonald will do it during the soft games. Coach McDonald will be in the bullpen during the varsity games. Coach Deverell will be in the dugout. Um, they'll uh, have Coach Harrington that comes over from the other school. He uh, helps with our outfielders and, and our hitters. Uh, so then Coach Butterball, Coach the JV, You'll have coach Harrington coach third base during the JV games and our other, our catching coach, coach Stoker, who played for us. He'll coach first base during the JV games and coach Stoker's our sophomore coach and he'll coach third base during his game. And our other uh, volunteer guy, coach Maynard will coach first base during those things. So we all have responsibilities and you know what? Um, they know how it works, but I think one of the things that, that I've, And I I think other people do, obviously other people do, but I've given them like these responsibilities, you know, coach Butterby, you got the infielders now, you know, they're yours. And that, and coach summer, you've got the outfielders and bill, you and Brandon, you guys got the pitchers and, uh, you know, Scott, you've got the outfielders and coach Harrington, coach Maynard. will help you. Bo, you got the catchers. Okay. And those guys have just, and I, they're, you, they're yours. Take some ownership and they have, and like, you know, uh, coach Butterbaugh, who really wasn't an infield guy before, but I'm telling you what he is. I think he's seen everything that, uh, Kai and Tucker put out Mm. on that infield you stuff. And, and he's gone back through all the ABCA stuff and he's come up, he's done some phenomenal drills and, and there he's done a great job in coaching them. Like I said, coach summer could coach outfield anywhere from our level to D one level. And, um, but those guys, you give them that responsibility and man, they just taken it and run with it. And I, I, I get a lot of credit for the wins, but I don't do anything. I just kind of turned over to them and I, uh, we had, we had a, they always tease me because at BYU, Brigham University, back when they were really, really good, they had a guy named Lavelle Edwards who was their head coach. He had these phenomenal assistant coach and I'll, you see Lavelle, do was stand on the sideline with his arms folded. Yeah. So they call, my the guys on staff, they, they give me some crap about, you know, you, you just kind of, I Hey, I'm all in. You guys do your job. I'll be good over here. I'll be the chief encouragement guy. <laughs> and, and our, like I said, we, we, our outfield plays elite, our infielders have played well pitching staff's done a great job. So uh, it's been, those guys have taken ownership and that's kind of, I guess, how you coach the coaches. give them that responsibility, let them run. Don't, don't, don't micromanage them. Let's put it that way. Right. Let them do, I we've, with our pitchers, we started throwing it the first year. I haven't planned one pitching session yet. Bill and Brandon take care of that. And our guys are looking pretty good right now. So
0: Mm
1: -hmm. um, that's, that's kind of, I think how, how I've taken the approach to handle the large number of coaches and even the youngest one coach Maynard that's come in. He, is, he has really done a good job as learning a little bit more about how to handle kids, mm-hmm. but also really investing himself on uh, learning better techniques and how to teach it and you know going about it that way.
0: So speaking of that, like with the younger guys, you know, I guess wrapping things up period, you and know, we're almost about an hour in. Um, okay. Just thinking about like the advice that you would give the younger coach, you know, or like what you know now, like as Brian
1: Kane would say, what do you know now that you wish you knew when you very first got started? Oh man, so much. Like I said before, when I started to think about practicing, you kind of coach how you've been, how you've been coached or how you coached under the people that you have. And you know, I, when you start out coaching, I think you're like, and you shouldn't you like chasing wins. Right. I mean, you know, you want to get your ball club into the tournament. You want to. And boy, that's that's not the way to go about it. Uh, It didn't take long for me to realize that if I do a better job of just producing and teaching young men how to be better young men and then figure out, then teach them the skills of playing the game and competing and that everything else is going to take care of itself. The wins are going to pile up. Uh, you, you you, need to build your culture, which is about the, the part about teaching young men to be young men about, uh, for when I decided that, and I didn't know anything, we, we started a little bit before I met Brian, but Brian put it into focus when he said, you know, you gotta have your core values. You gotta have the pillars of your program. I'd kind of started saying, you know, we want people in our program to be, to do things with excellence. We wanna be, we wanna do things with class, We want to do things with courage and we want to do things with excellence. And so excellence was the big key, doing the best you can, at everything you're trying to do, classroom, baseball, family. If you're religious, go to church, do all the things that you're doing the best way you can and conduct yourself with excellence. And as soon as we, I I did, shifted the emphasis to that kind of stuff, the baseball got better. Mm-hmm. I'd have known that. I'd have started right off of that. That's the build. That's the building of the culture thing. And then the next thing is, you think you got it set, and you have to keep working at that constantly. It's 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 always changing. It's always going to be moving in a direction. You have to keep your uh I don't know what. Not you don't want to keep your thumb on it, but you have to keep an eye on it to make sure it's going in the right direction. And you have to adapt and change. You can't you. Football coaches could grab a kid's face mask 15 years ago and rattle his chain a little bit to get him going. You do that. Now you're going to get fired, right? You've got to, if you we want to teach a kid to be tougher, we can't get in his face and yell at him. You've got to come up with other ways to try to help them learn how to toughen up in, in our, in our area we used to be farm boys and miners working, on, working in a copper mine. Now it's all, you know, business people, doctors, lawyers, upper middle class, upper class people who don't get their hands dirty mm-hmm. yet. We got to go out and compete and be tough. Right. So we got to figure out different ways to, to do that. So if I'd have known the part about, about building the culture, building young men first, rather than chasing wins, that's what I would tell a young head coach to do. And as we bring those younger coaches into our program, the first thing is, is, you know, treat the guys the right way, you know, teach them the right way to do things. Uh, off the field and on the field. Be a good example on that. And, uh, you know, you'll learn the skills later. We'll help you learn the techniques. We'll help you learn the mechanics. But you need to be a good example and uh, treat these young men, help them be, grow as young men first. And uh, everything else will take care of itself.
0: Yeah. That was, that's amazing. That was, that was uh, well worth that over, over an hour we just spent. Oh, my goodness. That was <laughs> awesome. Um, I guess I guess I guess one thing is it's culture, you know, and some people just don't know how to start that, you know, and some people just don't know how to get into this core covenants. You know, like we just talk about with excellence, being creative. Those are phenomenal. And I would imagine that everybody in your program knows what they, they are. So how, how, what have you found like the best way that you said to teach the, to teach that, you know, you are a a teacher, a great teacher planner. How do you go about teaching something when someone would say, well, they did, they
1: don't, they may not know how. Yeah. Well, you have to, you introduce it to them. Okay. uh, Here's the direction we want to go. And you have to do it differently sometimes too. Like you could lay them out how you want them to, and probably, well, maybe not. I just think you can lay them out what you think you want the direction to go, but then you have to have the buy-in and you have to have the kids do it. So we've done it in a couple of different ways. We've, um, we've allowed them to take some ownership over what they think some of the core values should be. Um, This year, for example, they want to come up with a word that characterize what they want people to see within our program. So we're going to do a little exercise here probably this week where all the guys that are returning, um, they're going to, each of them are going to come with this word that they're going to say, this is what we want. Our, if people watch us play, if people see our program, this is what we want them to see our program represents. Okay. Or what it, what our program is about. And then they're going to have to say that word or present it. Then they're going to have to defend it. And then, um, then we're going to get, so we're going to get 28, maybe 28 different words, you know, and then we're going to vote on them. Okay. And as they hear each other defend it, not all of them are going to get votes. And so eventually we're going to just pare it down to where we get to two or three, and then they've got to defend those or other people are going to have to defend their word or whatever. We're going to end up coming up with one word. It's a kind of a John Gordon exercise. So yeah, he's done before. Right. And so that's, that's one way you get them to start building an idea about what they want the culture of the program to be like. If you already have some core values and or some pillars of the program, for example, ours are ours is a T E A M with a little X in the middle between the E and the A. So T is for tradition because we've had this baseball program going around since 1933. E is for excellence. The little X between the E and the A is like a time signal in a math. Thing. So that's like synergy is what we do. Then we have an a for attitude and an M is something we have around here because we're the being of minors. It's called minor magic. And we've had them break into groups and take one of those core values. And then they have to present on it. This is what it means to us. This is what it means to our team this year. This is how tradition fits into our baseball program. This is how excellence does, etc. So we've done things like that so that they know what it is. And then they get to put their spin on, they get to put in what it's supposed to look like to other people outside the program and that, and then we're going to, you know, we're going to put it on our, our jerseys. We're going to put it on our t-shirts so that they know. And then there's signs up in our clubhouse about, you know, about excellence, you know, or about attitude as a decision, uh, you know, about, what minor magic is it, which is something that's right up above the door. That's the last thing they touch before they go out. Um, things like that. So there are there are things to remind them, but we also use those classroom sessions to also talk about here's what it is, and then tell again, tell a story about a kid that shows what this attitude is supposed to be like or what it means to be excellent in this area, what it looks like.
0: And what you're talking there is like the continuation, like, okay, here's how we start it. And here's how it need you need to breathe life into it right throughout the year.
1: Right. Correct. Yep. And then they take ownership of it. And then they, it's up to them to pass it down as, and as the years have gone on, a lot of our guys have done a good job passing it down. So everybody, everybody that comes into the program, the ninth graders and that you know, like you get this, you hear it from the parents and that, that, that have the new players that, you know, we wanted our young. We work. Hopefully, he made the team because we know what you guys do within your program about how these young men are supposed to behave and what what's expected of them and things like that. So, uh, over the years, we've been fortunate that we've done some things the right way. We tr- keep trying, hoping we are, and so it's carried over that way.
0: And that's phenomenal. No, this is great stuff, man. And again, another very unique thing about high school sports too, you know, and people try, and I know people do it the best they can, you know, outside during the summer, uh, you know, travel, uh, and different things like that. But there's to be able to run a f- program, the continuous time, having the schedule, building those things into your program, you know, it's, again, another
1: unique thing about a high school program. Yep. Yep. Those guys that are high school coaches, we don't get to recruit the guys, well, most of us. They, right. We get the guys that show up, right, and they – We've got to do with what we can with them and and uh, we're locked into certain ways of having to do things because there's a high school program and uh, you know very very few of us are like uh, can fundraise the money like coach Borba does at Orange Lutheran where they raise 200 grand a year to do whatever they do we all got to, we all got to, um, uh, I don't know what you want to call it we all got to do like my dad is a farmer we just got to make things up on the fly as far as equipment is concerned and you know, things like that. So it, the guys that do a great job coaching high school, which are, there's tons all over the place. Yeah. They, we have, it is a unique thing. And and my hat always goes off that you have to just have a lot of respect for those guys that are doing it, that being us doing it, we know what that's like. So whenever you run into another high school coach, you know, it's always, it's, you, you know what they're going through. And so um, very, like I said, very unique situation, but the guys do it real well. It's pretty awesome to watch them, how they do it.
0: It is. It is. And you're definitely one of those that, that do it well. And I'm, I'm really happy that, you know, we were able to get on and make this happen coach. And, you know, even though the whole West Pacific coast, Pacific time, (laughs) Eastern time, but we made it work. It was really great. Um, You know, I actually talked to RJ, RJ Farrell today about, about doing it. And that's the hardest thing for us is just kind of coming up with that time to to make it work. But, uh, man, coach, I just can't thank you enough. If there's anybody else that might want to like reach out to you, talk more about your culture and talk more about like the creative things you're doing inside, what that's, might be, what might be a way to re-
1: reach out to you? Oh, that's, Hey, again, I was mentored by some really great coaches. And so my job now is to do the same thing. I, we're, we're an open book. If anybody wanted to come or they got questions out, we'll, we'll share whatever we have with them on that. Um, my email address and you can post it on your notes or whatever you do with that kind of thing is you have it. It's joe.sato at jordandistrict.org. Um, my, uh, uh, my cell numbers, 801-842-6150. And just send me a text message. And we, I, I, I'm not smart enough to do the Twitter or Instagram thing yet. <laughs> that's that's just still not quite. And that, anyway, as a teacher, some of those things, Twitter, stuff and that, I'm, you know, I'm probably best to stay clear of it. It just keeps you, keeps you safer for the most part. So.
0: Hey, you got, um, but hey, they,
1: you also might be another, might be another staff job too. <laughs> yeah, <that's true. laughs> uh, hey, i <laughs> social media guy, right? We can that's use right. that. Publicize. That's right. One of my guys is supposed to take care of most of that. He's doing a decent job, but. He's, he's getting, I'm putting more responsibility in him on the baseball site. So you might have to do something like that. <laughs> well,
0: it was funny. You say that. Cause I was talking to Tim Hill. Tim Hill was possibly, he, he's talking about, he, they, they started, uh, they just put a volunteer thing out there for, um, like a data now because they have hit tracks. So he's oh, yeah. got, some, he's got some data. So he just threw it, threw a thing out there and say, Hey, we're looking for a volunteer data analysis guy. <laughs> and a, he had a hit interview. He had to interview. Oh, for wow. And, cool. got, and got a volunteer to do it. That's looking to kind of do it as a career right out of college, oh, yeah. you know, yeah, so you'd be surprised. You'd be surprised. I'm I'm sure. Especially when people want to work with you, people are going to want to come work for you.
1: So uh, that's yeah, for sure. we can't, we, we've never nailed to anybody much. So we, we try to give them a few perks here and there. Guy, a couple of t-shirts or something. We're all in. Yeah, that's right. <laughs>
0: that's right. Oh man. Well, coach, it's been fantastic. Again, I, I knew it would be, you know, especially after Alabama talk and, I couldn't wait now. I will definitely be uh, D in contact, uh, you know, for sure in the future. I can't wait till our next time.
1: Great. It's been a pleasure. I, it's really humbling to be, I saw, I looked back and saw the people that you've had to this thing. Like I said, I, I'm, I'm not sure I'm in some of the class of those guys. I've just been around a long time. Those, some of those coaches you have on there I've kind of researched a little bit on there. Some you've done, you've, you've done your homework and you've had some really phenomenal coaches of people that, have viewed into the podcast have probably been really enriched by a lot of the people that you've had on here and you're doing a great job. I appreciate you. uh, uh, Like I said, very humbled that you asked me to do this and, and I hope people are that I'm sure they're learning a lot and you're doing a great service to, to baseball on that. So appreciate you too.
0: Coach Joel Sato, just killing it. Great, some great stuff just from really even just finishing it strong there with his culture. I mean, we finish on a high note as he goes and pr- talks about his culture and creating and breathing life into the kind of people that they want their program to be about. We breathe life in that and, and really I finished it up in conversation on a, on a strong point. Um, really kind of bookend and really the conversation we kind of started with the mental stuff and um, and he finished it about also finished it wrapped him back around with creating good young men and how the wins become a byproduct of that and the wins just fall into place and that baseball became better as they focused on their culture and being excellent and courageous and they talked about his team acronym and how they're doing that they're creating a one word even through that then they're creating a one word of what that describes them and breaking it down and continue to argue think about the real, real life skills that bringing out into people as they continue to do that and they do that um, that will go beyond the game for guys to be able to play for a coach like coach Sato and and uh, is, is incredible and I, I do think this these kind of values and things like that can be brought in anywhere. I, I think we need to challenge ourselves where if I'm not playing, I need to find that. I need to find someone that will care more about than just how I'm throwing a curveball or um, how far I can hit a baseball or, you know, what my 60 time is. So it's, uh, it's just, and Coach Sato is that guy and um, is growing the game the right way and is growing men. And, um, at the same time, can talk baseball with anybody. You can absolutely hear that. Uh, he's running practices, you know, and being creative when he's got 10 inches of snow outside and um, you know, not able to play on the field when it's you know, snowing up until April. And so, you know, you don't you don't become four, part of 14 state championships without knowing a thing or two. And, uh, so, but, um, uh, I think it was great advice. He gave some great advice about growing his culture. He gave some great advice on practice planning, and um, just really fortunate to have the time to talk to Coach Sato and and the lessons you know from a Hall of Fame career. And uh, he continues to be at the forefront. He continues to ask questions. He continues to be a learner, and um, and is extremely humble and has great people around him. And he knows that. It's about those people and about those works, about those kids that get those things done. So, um there's a true servant, great leader, great man. So again, Coach Sato, if you have not, if you did not get that information, please um feel free to reach out to him. He's a first-class uh, it's a first class share. it's J O E dot S A T O at Jordan District dot org. He also gave his cell phone in the Episode as well, so please like it, please share it, please share it to somebody. Uh, Coach Sato is a great man, like I said, well respected around the country, and uh, really cool to have a guy from Utah to be able to speak from him, and just funny how this this year ended and this year is gone to meet a guy like Coach Sato who I've seen from a distance, and um, but to get to talk to him and 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 have a guy speak your language and and uh, to see a guy that. Has been doing it that long and continues to learn and ask questions and it's inspiring it's inspiring and uh, it's great to hear great to see and and it's a great thing for our game great thing for our kids so great thing for the next generation so please continue to like share the podcast and uh, if there's anybody that you think that is part of this community a part of the uh, growing the game the right way and and all the great things that our game shows people beyond the lines, please reach out to me at bettermenbetterballplayers at gmail.com. DM me on Twitter at Coach Three Cobb or BMBB Podcast on Instagram and Twitter. Be happy to reach out to them. Love to get him on the show, touch base, and just talk some baseball. See how we can help and keep growing the grain. So, until next time, keep getting better.